Today's reading will be taken from Genesis 13 and 14. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier, and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me, or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked up and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt Egypt towards Zor. This was before the Lord, the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, Lift up your eyes from where you are and look north and south, east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram moved his tents and went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he built an altar to the Lord. We're going to be reading from uh, chapter 14, the first two verses, and then from verse 11 to the end of the chapter. At this time, Amraphel, king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Elisar, Kedolema, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goim, went to war against Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Admar, Shemabah, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zur. Now from verse 11. The four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food. Then they went away. They also carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions, since he was living in Sodom. One who had escaped came and reported this to Abram, the Hebrew. Now Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre the Amorite, a brother of Eshcol and Anna, all of whom were allied with Abram. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. During the night, Abraham divided his men to attack them, and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobar, north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions, together with the women and the other people. After Abraham returned from defeating Kedolema and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Sheva, that is, the king's valley. 
Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abraham gave, gave him a tenth of everything. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord, God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and have taken an oath that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the thong of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me, to Anar, Eshkol, and Mamre. Let them have their share. This is God's word. Our loving Father, we've declared some strong words in uh, what we've sung already, that we want to live for you or live for the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to lay all that we are before him, trust him like a child, serve him as if we're slaves. We want to take up our crosses and give all that we have. Father, we'll not do that naturally. That's far from the, how we instinctively want to live, which is for ourselves. So please, would you be at work in us, changing us, transforming us as you speak here and now, so that we do indeed live to the praise of your name and the service of Jesus Christ. Amen. I mean, let, me, let me begin with a quote. Our lives are the sum total of the choices we have made. Our lives are the sum total of the choices we have made. Do you know who said that? Nor do I. Because uh, if you Google it, uh, about a dozen people claim that quote. So it must be quite a good one. Albert Camus, Woody Allen, and then a load of people I'd never heard of have claimed that quote as their own. Our lives are the sum total of the choices we make. I guess we can see that that is true. The choices that we make today or tomorrow, will affect where we are in five years. Or more, I guess, more pertinent to the quote, will affect the people that we are in five years or ten years. The choices that we make today determine who we become. And whoever said it, it would certainly be true, biblically as well. I mean, that's obvious in one sense of the big choices we make, where we go and live, which country, which city, if, who we marry, what sort of job we take, and what sort of... And those things obviously make a difference, but I guess the quote is getting at the small things, the sort of daily decisions that we take. They'll affect who we are. They'll change us. The choices we make today, well, that's who we become. Tonight we look at uh, then two people who have made uh, a choice. Uh, we're going to look at, we, we started uh, last week, uh, looking at the life of Abraham. And we said that uh, the New Testament uh, holds up Abraham as the man of faith more than anyone else. Uh, he's held up as an example of faith, a positive example to follow. Now, don't follow him in everything because he makes plenty of mistakes. But in one sense, that's encouraging. That's normal Christian living. There's no perfection in Abraham and there, there won't be in you if you're a Christian or me. But he's held up as a man of faith. And in this chapter, he's contrasted with his nephew Lot who gets a lot wrong, um, uh, as you'll see in this chapter and in the next few. Abraham then, positive example to follow, a lot one to avoid. They have different ambitions. They make different choices. And they have different destinations or outcomes. 
And that's really what we're going to consider tonight. Uh, We we began then uh, last week, uh, chapter 12, Abraham, if you remember, uh, chapter 12, verses 1 and 3, sorry, 1 to 3, Abraham is given a command, Abraham, go, leave your country, your people, your father's household, go to the land I'll show you, that's uh, the command, go, get up and go, Abraham, and he does, he obeys, and uh, because he's got a wonderful promise from God, God says, I will bless you, essentially verses 2 and 3. I'll bless you. So go, Abraham, leave your family, leave the familiarity, leave your false gods behind, and I'll bless you. And when we get to chapter 13, things are going well. So chapter 13, verse 2, Abraham had become very wealthy in livestock, in silver, and in gold. Financially, things are going great for Abraham. Verses 3 and 4, spiritually, he's going great. He's honoring the Lord wherever he goes. He's building altars. He's calling on the name of the Lord, um, recognizing that his wealth has come from God. Great. All is going well with Abraham. Now, the problem comes, we're told about it in verses 5 and 6. Now, Lot, who is moving around with Abraham, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able... I can read that. They were not able to stay together. So what is a familiar 21st century problem? The resources aren't large enough for all the people that want them. Welcome to 21st century Britain. But um, here, of course, there's a slight irony. The reason they've got an issue is that God has blessed them so much. They've got so much, they don't know what to do with it. They can't exist on the same land. It's different then, of course, today. Your wealth is largely cash and equities, or whatever you put, put your, um, your wealth uh, then, of course, it's cows and sheep. And you can't put them in your bank account. They need land. Uh, and so there's a shortage of land. That's the presenting issue for Abraham and Lot going on here. So very contemporary scenario. Two quarreling groups fighting over limited resources. And the men make a choice. So two things, really, we want to say tonight. That little appendix. The first, then, Lot chose wealth and he lost faithfulness. But by contrast, Abraham chose faithfulness and gained wealth. Okay. The difference between the two men. Let's look at Lot first. So Lot chose wealth and lost faithfulness. Uh, we'll just pick it up, verses 8 and 9. Abraham's very generous. Abraham said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me. He's not the whole land before you. Let's part company and you decide. So we'll come back to that in a moment. But Abraham is very generous. Lot Take your pick. The whole land's in front of you. What are you going to go for? Well, verse 10, Lot looked up and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. Wow. So Lot looks up and thinks, west mm, looks a bit rocky to me. A little bit desert, a little bit rocky. Over there, it's like Eden. It's like the garden of the Lord. It's like the Nile Delta, green fertile, good. So his eyes light up and says, Uncle, I'm going east. Thank you very much. See you, sucker. And uh, he makes his choice. Uh, And off he goes. He looks one way and then off he goes. Now, clearly in this case, there's nothing wrong with pursuing wealth. So in one sense, Lot just makes an obvious, sensible decision. Over there is green and fertile. That looks like the best place to go. Now, there's nothing wrong with pursuing wealth. Abraham pursues wealth in Genesis, Abraham becomes enormously wealthy. No problem with that. Two problems, though, there are with what Lot does here. He chooses wealth. That's a, 
But wealth is more important to him than family. And wealth is more important to him than morality. Let me just show you those two. Uh, The first thing, wealth is more important to him than family. Abraham is generous then. You decide, Lot. You decide. But Lot should have said no. Lot should defer to his uncle. We're told back in... um, uh, chapter 11, uh, Lot's dad had died very young. Abraham had brought him up. Uh, in the culture of the time, for the child honoured the father. That's just what you did. You wouldn't seek to take advantage of your father. You certainly wouldn't do that. What's clear in chapter 13 is the only reason Lot has got any money, verse 5, is that he's moving around with Mr. Blessing. Abraham is Mr. Blessing. Everything he touches, ding, 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 turns to sheep and cows. Um, (laughs) Abraham's very wealthy. Lot's moving around with him. It's all because of Abraham. Lot should defer to his uncle, his father, as he's been brought up. But he doesn't. Now, we might think so. What? I mean, culturally, that's abhorrent. That's, you know, if you uh, imagine you're in a social gathering and a few, some children running around and a five-year-old comes up to his dad and uh, says to his dad, Dad, why don't you F off? You're such a ing loser. Everyone's just very uncomfortable. That's just so wrong. So wrong. With that sort of thing's going on here. Lot to say, yeah, I'll, I'll take the best land from you, Dad. It's just wrong. Greedy and grasping. It's abhorrent. You don't do that. Abraham is generous, but Lot just asserts his self-interest. And so money is more important to him than family. The second is more obvious, I think, than that, though. That wealth is more important to him than morality. Again, it looks like an obvious decision to make. Let's go for the green. But the narrator's comments make it very clear how foolish this was. So verse 10 This decision was made, at the bit in brackets, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 13, the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. Now, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah in the Bible, they become shorthand, their Bible shorthand for wickedness. And the narrator is saying here, Lot went towards, he only went towards Sodom and Gomorrah don't go anywhere near there. That is, that is foolish. They are, the, they are wicked people in Sodom and Gomorrah. We get to them in chapter 19. You don't, that's a really stupid decision to make, to go and live near them. What do you expect to happen? You were here looking for a, a room in a house to share of some kind. You wouldn't think, oh, what's this flat like? Oh, it's a really nice flat. Who are the other tenants? Three drug dealers. I'm moving with them. That'd be nice. You, you're going to meet some difficult, you know, some awkward people there. That's going to have an impact upon you if you live in that sort of culture and everyone is just stoned all day long and, and selling all sorts of variety of drugs. That'll have an impact upon you. Lot goes to wickedness. He goes to live near Sodom and Gomorrah. It's a foolish decision to make, but he's so greedy for gain. He'll take wealth over morality. As we see, um, we'll see in the later chapters, we start to see it today. Chapter um, 13 and verse uh, 12. 
he pitched his tents near Sodom. Look at chapter 14, verse 12. Lot, uh, we'll come to this, was carried away. He was living in Sodom. Near Sodom, in Sodom. Chapter 19, he's a citizen. He's reluctant to leave Sodom. He's warned by God, the city's about to be destroyed, for goodness sake, get out of here. He's, well, I don't know, I quite like living here. There's been a progression, a deterioration. He was near, he lived in the city, he's corrupted by the city. And that's the warning you get in chapter 13, twice. Oh, he's going towards Sodom and Gomorrah. Fool. What a fool. The last time we read of Lot is in chapter 19. His daughters get him drunk and he sleeps with them. And that's the last time we hear of him. What a, sh- he's a shocking mess. One thing about Lot we need to also notice. The New Testament, 2 Peter chapter 2 is very clear. Lot's a believer. It's described there as a righteous one. He's a believer. He's a believer who makes a really stupid mistake here. The choice he makes in chapter 13 determines the person he becomes. And he wastes his life because of the foolish mistake he makes. It's quite possible to be a believer and make a very silly decision such as that. People do it all the time. Imagine the conversation in the Lot household. So Mr. Lot comes home and says to Mrs. Lot, well, we're going to have to make a decision. There's too many sheep and cattle and, and we've got to split off from Uncle Abraham and um, uh, we've got to make a decision about what we're going to do. Imagine the conversation. Let's sort of bring it forward a little bit in these terms in the Lot household. Mr. Lot comes home and says, uh, darling, I've got an opportunity here. I could make a lot of money from this opportunity. Oh, you, well, there's... Um, there's a Russian businessman in town. He, he hasn't got citizenship. He's on the run, really. I mean, he, the, how he's made his money is a little bit dubious. But there's the potential to make a lot of money with him. I mean, I have to hope the FSA doesn't get too closely involved in the deal. But we could make a lot of money here, darling. Oh. What does Uncle Abraham make of this transaction? He's just so set in his ways. You know what he's like. You know, he's 75. He's not going to change. He can't see the opportunity. I mean, he's saying we shouldn't do it, but oh, come on. He's just dull. This is our chance. We can make a huge amount of money here. Okay, dear. Okay, let's go and move to Sodom and Gomorrah. Doesn't seem, it's not the wise thing to do, but the money. Wow, let's do that. Goes like that. Or perhaps that's not the conversation. It's something completely different. Mrs. Lot comes home one day and says to, um, and says to Mr. Lot, darling, I've seen the perfect house. We're upping sticks, we're leaving this town, and we're going to Surrey. Why? 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 I've just seen the perfect house. It is gorgeous. The garden is enormous. The kids will have so much space to run around. It's just the dream house. I've always had it in my head. Come on, darling, let's move there. Well, is there a church nearby? I mean, we're going to be okay spiritually? Oh, I don't know. There's bound to be something nearby. There's always something kind of nearby. Oh, okay. Is that the best place for us to be serving God? We could serve him wherever we go. Look, I've seen the tennis club. I'll fit in a dream. They're all people like us. 
it'll be lovely. Let's move there. Oh, okay. Let's move to. Let's move there. Mr. Lot, Mrs. Lot. And so their daughter grows up. We could call her Pixie. <laughs> or not. But their daughter grows up. Uh, if you didn't get that, you're even off, more off the pace than me culturally. <laughs> you're in a bad place culturally. It was a certain thing. But their daughter grows up. And their daughter's never interested in following Jesus. Never interested. Never gives it a thought. Because she worships the God that her parents do. Money. Comfort. Ease. She worships the God that's been modelled in her household ever since she's grown up. The one that really matters to her folks. She worships him all her life. Because it's very possible to be a believer and make daft decisions. Of course it is. Lot. Lot here. Where he chose wealth and he loses faithfulness. Desperate mistake. Let's look at Abraham then. Uh, Abraham's the contrast. Abraham then, by contrast, he chooses faithfulness and gained wealth. So a happier story in one sense. He chooses faithfulness and gains wealth. Now, um, the original offer he makes to Abraham then, uh, verses 8 and 9. Uh, come on then, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herdsmen and mine. We're brothers. No, they're not. Uncle and child, nephew, that he's brought up all his life. They're not brothers. It's not, but anyway, he's being very kind. Of course, what Abraham could have done here is pulled rank. I'm the patriarch. God bless me. I'm in charge. On your bike, son. I'm having the best land I can possibly see. He doesn't do that. He doesn't break the relationship with Lot or pull rank over him. He's very generous. He says, you take the best bit. I mean, that's, that is counterintuitive to us. Uh, every so often, I went, one, went on one recently. I go on a clergy conference. They're not high-budget affairs. Uh, you are sharing a room with Mr. Snore. I get Mr. Snore every time. But um, you know, if I get there first and go into the, the bedroom, there's two beds. Instinctively, my thinking doesn't go, now, which one is the lumpiest and least comfortable? Which one is the one that's under the window and liable to get drafty? Which one's the one near the loo and that'll just get disturbed in the night? I don't really think in those terms. I'll take the worst. That's not instinctive to us. Abraham's very generous. Why? Well, he trusts the promises of God so he can be generous. He trusts the promises of God. That's why he's able to be generous. He trusts. God has said to him, Abraham, I will bless you. Chapter 12. Two and three. You will have a great land. You'll have plenty of descendants. I will bless you. Oh, okay. He can afford to be generous. In fact, there's two things that make a difference here because he trusts the promises of God. Two little things. The first is he's got integrity. He's got the promise of God, the promise of provision. Therefore, he doesn't need to be greedy for gain because he's got the promise of provision. Uh, a fortnight ago or something like that, I caught up with uh, a friend, not a Christian, and uh, about a year ago he took voluntary redundancy, it was a decent deal, um, and uh, set up his own business. And so uh, I caught up with him, he'd been about a year, I said, no, a year, isn't it? Yes, done my first uh, tax return, etc. cetera, uh, for the year. How's it gone? Well, um, it's all right. Uh, I mean, not making any money, still losing quite a bit of money, but it's going in the right direction, we, and we can, you know, I, I'm optimistic about it. 
God, it's got to be tough. You've got a wife, you've got you know, two kids, you've got a pretty hefty mortgage that you took on three years ago. You don't get stressed at all, you don't get anxious. Uh, no, no, not really. Um, I mean, there was one moment of tension this year. This is where my earlier story comes in. There was a guy who came along, a potential client, who was a Russian businessman of, of dubious background. This is true now. Uh, Russian of, of dubious background. And I thought I could have made a significant amount of money working with him. But the truth was it smelt a little bit. I wasn't entirely comfortable. It was the sort of thing that could have come back and bitten me and you know the whole business gone belly up. So I turned it down. I mean, if I'd taken him as a client, we'd have been happily in the black. I'd have had a significant revenue stream for the next few years. But I turned him down. Gosh, it was a brave decision. Well, to be honest with you, there is the family trust fund. And uh, that gives me a pretty nice revenue income stream uh, on a regular basis. So I can afford to be a little bit choosy. I don't have to grasp after the deals I don't want. Okay, well, I'm a little less impressed with you now. <laughs> but you see how that sort of works. He didn't need to be greedy for gain because he had provision from his family. Abraham here, he doesn't need to be greedy for gain because he's got the promise of provision from God that allows him to maintain his integrity. You see that? He trusts that God will provide, so he doesn't have to grasp in a dubious, potentially unethical manner. makes all the difference. If you trust the promise of provision, you don't need to be greedy for gain. So it maintains his integrity, and also it enables him to be generous. It gives him generosity. Again, he says, I'm the patriarch lot, but you choose. You choose. I don't need to assert my rights. I can relinquish my rights because, again, I have the promise of provision. I can be generous because of that. Because when you trust in the provision, when you're secure in the provision that comes through Jesus Christ, it does stop you grasping after things. You can afford to be generous when you trust in him. You can sit lighter to the ambitious pursuit of wealth if you know that, if you have the promise that God would provide for you. Don't, don't, don't mishear me, of course, we need to go out and we need to work and earn money, but the, the grasping for gain, the potentially unethical scenario, just, just draw back from them. Trust the promise that the Lord will provide. That's what Abraham does. The outcome, well, verses 14 to 17, God affirms his decision. So you see these verses, God affirms Abraham's decision to be generous. He deepens the promises that he's already made to Abraham. So now, verse 15, all the land you see, I'll give you. Not just you'll get some of this land of Canaan, everything you can see. Wow, so the land seems to be expanding. And uh, verse 16, the people, the nation. I mean, he promised him before a great nation, but now they've become like the dust of the earth, completely uncountable. Okay, So God says, yeah, I like what you've said to Lot. Let me just remake and in fact deepen my promises even more. God is affirming Abraham's decision that he's made here. So you see the contrast between these two men. Lot, he chose wealth and lost faithfulness. Abraham, he chose faithfulness. He gained wealth. We're meant to notice that. 
let's just push on to see the, uh, the conclusion to this sort of uh, little event as it takes place. Uh, chapter 14. Chapter 14, the world is at war. Uh, this is the first Iraq war. Did you realize that? Um, so uh, you get uh, a verse, uh, chapter 14, you get these kings. You get two sides. I mean, don't worry about the details. You've got four Babylonian kings. Babylonia, that's modern-day Iraq. So four Babylonian kings in uh, verse 1. They go to war with five kings from the Dead Sea area. So it's, you know, you've got the, the Iraqi kings versus the Dead Sea kings, and there's a battle that goes on, and they fight. So that's what happens in a war. Okay, leave that aside. Um, let's pick it up at verse 11. So the four kings, so the Iraqi kings, they, they win. And uh, uh, so Sodom's on the losing side. The king of Sodom, he's a loser. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, all those things get carried away. Verse 12, now we pick it up. They also carried off Abraham's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. So you see, again, it hasn't gone well for Lot. He chose wealth, lost faithfulness, it loses everything. It hasn't gone well for him. Lot is captured. Uh, Abraham goes off. Uh, Abraham uh, saddles up. So verse 13, Abraham hears uh, that his nephew has been captured. Uh, verse 14, he saddles up with his 318 men, 75 years old, man of action, good on him. And um, he charges into battle with his 318 men and defeats the whole army. So verse 16, he recovered all the goods and brought back his relative Lot and his possessions together with the women and the other people. Brilliant. Hurrah for Abraham. But the text really wants us to focus on this bit. Abraham then meets two kings. So verses at 17 to the end, he meets two kings and he chooses the blessing of God, not the wealth of the world once again. Let me just show you the two kings here that Abraham meets. He meets the king of Sodom, verse 17, and he meets the king of Jerusalem, Melchizedek, verse 18, down to 21. And then we go back to the king of Sodom again. Verse 22. You see, again, the, the text interweaves these two kings. We're meant to compare and contrast what's going on here with these two men. So let's do that very briefly. King 1, then, is Melchizedek. Let's do it like this. King 1, Melchizedek, verse 18. Melchizedek, king of Salem, or Jerusalem, brought out bread and wine. So they're going to have the Lord's Supper together. I don't know about that. So just maybe. Um, he was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abraham, saying... Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High who delivered your enemies into your hands. This king comes out, Melchizedek, and says, Abraham, praise God. And Abraham, God has given you victory. Yes, entirely true. And I'm going to bless you, Abraham. And Abraham says, fabulous. Have 10% of everything I own. Gosh. Those are the sort of conversations I like. It's amazing, isn't it? This bloke jumps out of nowhere, Melchizedek, and says, bless you in the name of the Lord. And Abraham gives him 10% of everything he owns. Now, he is a strange character, Melchizedek. It doesn't feature a huge amount in the Bible. I mean, he crops up in Psalm 110. But the New Testament's very clear in Hebrews chapter 7. Melchizedek is a foretaste of Jesus Christ. Let me read you just what it says then in Hebrews chapter 7, 1 to 3. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. 
And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, his name, Melchizedek, means king of righteousness. Then also, king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, like the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. What an extraordinary man this Melchizedek is. I mean, look at it there. No mum, no dad, no history, eternal. A bit like the Son of God. A bit like Jesus Christ, says the writer to the Hebrews. He's meant to be, even at the early stage of the Bible, a hint of what Jesus Christ will be like. So this is a divine blessing that comes upon Abraham. And Abraham says, well, of course, have a tenth of everything I own. Why a tenth? I don't know. The law of tithing, that hasn't come up yet. It's not given until the uh, Israelites are on Mount Sinai. It's just an obvious thing you do if you're godly. According to Abraham, this does that straight away. Extraordinary. The blessing. Abraham very happily takes the blessing from Melchizedek. That's King 1. King 2 is the king of Sodom. And uh, he comes with a slightly different statement. So verse 21, the king of Sodom said to Abraham, give me the people, you can keep the goods for yourself. Ooh. This is, the, this is money from, this is a whole city, in fact, five cities' wealth that has just been captured. And, and Abraham and his camels, they're just sort of sat on these big sacks of gold. And the king of Sodom says, you just give me my people back, you can keep all the money. Ooh, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money that Abraham's offered there. And he says, no, I don't want your money. He gives two reasons, briefly. The first is verse 23. I will not accept, I'll accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the throng of a sandal, so that you'll never be able to say, I made Abraham rich. I'm not taking any money from you, because I want everyone to know that the reason I won this battle was because God was with me. And the reason I'm wealthy is that God has given it to me. I want everyone to give glory to God. I want people to praise him. And I don't want anything to ruin the possibility of that. So I don't want any money from you. I don't want any of that. I want God to be praised. Abraham's quite healed. We take the blessing from Melchizedek, but not the money from the king of Sodom. Why? Because he knows the blessing of God is better than the wealth of the world. Do you know that that is true? The blessing of God is better than the wealth of the world. Oh, there's a whole number of reasons why we could explain why that's true. Uh, but obviously, the obvious ones, eternity. I've been spending lots of time this week in Psalm 49. Do you know happens to the wealth of the wicked? They don't keep it. You know what happens to the mansions of the wicked? They become tombs, says Psalm 49 for them. In eternity, for goodness sake, the wealth of the world is meaningless to you. The blessing of God is everything. It'll take you there. But even in this life, the blessing of God is worth more than the wealth of the world because he can change you. He can transform your character, make you a person of integrity, generosity, like Abraham is. And no pay rise can change you. No new house or new car or new gadget or new jewelry can change your character. 
The wealth of the world can't do that. Oh, if you've got lots of money, you can hide your character, you can insulate yourself, and you can have a very jolly life. But it won't change you within. Only God can do that. The blessing of God is worth more than the wealth of the world. It's very clear if you're Abraham. So he turns down Sodom's wealth. One, because uh, uh, he wants uh, everyone to know that God has blessed him. Two, the other ones, very straightforward as we finish. Verse 22, I've made an oath. I have made an oath. Verse 22, I've raised my hand to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and have taken an oath. He's saying, look, I made a decision in the past about what I would do if you came along with money. I, I resolved, whatever it was, yesterday, last year, I resolved that I would always honor God and not take corrupt money. Um, good job I did make that decision in the past, because right now I'm sat on a big sack of gold and it's very tempting to me indeed. But I resolved in the past, I made a decision then about how I would behave now. That's a choice he made. Our lives are the sum total of the choices we make. Choose wisely. You see, Abraham here resolved before the event how he would live. What does that mean? I don't know what that means for you. Look, if you're starting a new job, resolve before you go through the front door how you will live, what you will say about being a Christian, what business ethics you will carry out. If you're starting a new business, resolve before you begin how you will interact with your clients, how you'll behave. Uh, Decide what is acceptable before you... Go out on a date with someone of the opposite sex. Decide what is acceptable. Resolve in your own mind what you will do and not do. Decide in advance. Choose. The people we are are determined by the choices we make. Lot then. Lot chose wealth. He lost faithfulness. He got kidnapped. In the end, he's raping his own daughters, sleeping with them as a drunkard. Because he made bad choices to live in the wrong place, to take himself away from a place of blessing. Abraham, Abraham, he chose faithfulness or he gained wealth. He was very clear in his own mind, the blessing of God is better than the wealth of the world. And so he made decisions on that basis. Before they confronted him face to face, he chose before temptation was right in front of him. Because... Our lives are the sum total of the choices we make. Choose wisely. Choose faithfulness. Choose the blessing of God rather than the wealth of the world. Oh, God may give you the wealth of the world as well. Who can tell? But you'll certainly be rewarded in eternity. Choose faithfulness. Let's pray together. Our loving Heavenly Father, thank you that you give us these uh, stories recorded from history. They're they're lurid. they're, They're vivid to us. Uh, And would you impress this one upon us? Would we be wise and choose to choose faithfulness like Abraham did, trusting you, trusting in your promise to provide, rather than choosing wealth over morality, over our family? Would we be wise in the choices we make today in order to be people of integrity tomorrow? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.